Hello and welcome to So Far, Episode 1. This is 1969 through 1970. I'm Jason Gore, also here with... Tom Sharpling. (laughs) How are you, Tom? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Just ready to talk about the greatest band in the land. Crosby, Sills, Nash & Young. Oh, yeah. Look out. We're here with Mike Lisk, AP Mike. How are you? How's everybody doing? Good. Last but not least... Pat Byrne. Hey, guys. And just to kind of go over what the show is, you may not have heard episode zero. If you haven't heard episode zero, I recommend going back and listening to it. But we are going through year by year in all of the works of Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. And for episode one, we're, we're hitting it pretty hard right out of the gate. We've got some killer records in this batch from 69, 70. I mean, basically, these are the records that kind of defined... Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, each member as who they are. Yeah. I mean, it's, an, it's a pretty impressive uh, amount of product in a two-year uh, time frame when you look that they, Crosby, Stills, and Nash put their debut out mm. in 69. And then less than a year later, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young put their, their first album together, Deja Vu, out. Ten months later. Ten months later. It's yeah. insane. And before the Crosby, Stills, and Nash self-titled debut came out, Neil had already put out two records. Yeah. He was out of Buffalo Springfield at this point and starting his solo career. And in this two-year period, you've got Neil Young putting three solo albums out and two Crosby, Stills, and Nash albums, one of which is Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. And then Stephen Stills also gave everybody his debut uh, solo album, which is is self-titled. Right. Which is still probably his best solo record, I think. Yeah, well, good. We'll find out. (laughs) Good for him. I can't listen to this. I think it really is. So we'll get to that. But before we hop into the records uh, really quickly, in episode zero, at the end of episode zero. Let me just hold on one second. Yeah, go for it. really think... This is, this is going to be the best of Stephen Stills? No. no. I think that's probably his top wow. solo record. And we got 50 years to go? We have 50 years, and that's it. I mean, this album's better than Illegal Stills. Okay, all it's right. better than Thoroughfare Gap. The magnitude of this whole thing just hit me. It's the best, it's the best of the worst. It hit, yeah. hit me really hard. It that was the first, yeah. This is the first time I've ever listened to that album. Yeah. Same. Oh, it's yeah. the last time, too. Oh, yeah. So before we hop into the records, uh, really quickly, in episode zero, uh, at the end, we ranked the members. And uh, Pat ranked C-Y-N-S. Tom and myself, we ranked S-Y-C-N in terms of who had the best time period pre-Crosby, Stills, and Nash. And Mike, you weren't there. Uh, there were some technical glitches. So here is your opportunity to rank the members from episode zero. Yes, I, I agree with uh, you and Tom. S-Y-C-N. You know, I'm giving Stephen Stills, I, I don't know all the behind the scenes with Buffalo Springfield, but uh, from what you guys were saying, he was like, you know, at the forefront there. I mean, Neil was doing his thing too. So, you know, thinking it, this may be the only time I put <laughs> Stephen Stills at number one, I figured at least give him that for Buffalo Springfield then Neil. Mm-hmm. And Crosby for the birds, and then uh, Nash for uh, 
the Hollies. Yeah, that that is about where we landed. Just saying yeah. that coming out of their their pre Crosby, Stills, Nash, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young bands, Stills kind of was a slightly more the driving force of Buffalo Springfield than maybe Neil was, which gave him the nod for for that's what Jason and I had said. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. And, but then, Pat, you leaned more into Crosby because of the the overall greatness of the birds. Yes. Him being a part of that put him in the top. So Yeah, even if he maybe didn't have, uh, you know, songwriting. Uh, it's a shared, you know, you're in a band, it's shared yeah. songwriting. But it's, I think, just the, just the, if you hold up those bands next to each other, um, you know, I would say birds are greater than the hollies and, and, and sort of, Stature catalog. I don't know. Yeah. We, I, I could be wrong, but uh, you, you're. I don't. I don't think you're wrong. And then, uh, yeah, young. I just like him uh, songwriting wise, and and uh, and then Nash. You know, I do like the Hollies a bit, just you know from the hits, etc. And then Stills is the guy I knew the least, so he he goes mm-hmm. last. Yeah. Well, so we all the rankings are in for for the pre CSN CSNY era. And now we start with this is the true beginning of the journey. So where do we start, Jason? So we are starting with in 1969. Technically, this is a weird one because it was released twice, kind of like the first Buffalo Springfield record was released twice. Um, Neil Young, Neil Young. It was initially released on uh, November 12th, 1968. Um, it was released with the Heiko CSG encoding system which was a system that made stereo records play on mono players. And the sound was screwed, so screwed up, it was a move that the label did um, without Neil's permission. So they re-released the record, remixed on January 22nd, 1969. Yeah, and it's uh, his first album is, I don't know, it's, 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 it's a funny, odd kind of record that first Neil Young solo album. Yeah. It's got a different, it's got a kind of, it feels constructed differently than any of his albums ever did again. Completely. It really does feel like a, like a bridge from Buffalo Springfield to the Neil we knew or know now. Yeah. Now, Mike, I had seen you teased some, something about this album that you, you had a, uh, you had a take on this first Neil Young album. I hadn't listened to it in a long time, you know, and, and like you said, it's, it's an odd record, you know, I mean, I, I, I didn't, it wasn't the first Neil Young record I was exposed to when I was getting into Neil Young, you know, I had to work my way backwards, and uh, this was one that I, I did not gravitate to, I didn't play it a lot, but, you know, it's got, it's got signs of things to come, I would say, you know, it's, it's, it's there, you know, the loner... I came in around, you know, late 70s, mid 70s, late 70s. And so, you know, Russ Never Sleeps was a big one for me. And I saw them live on that tour and uh, they did The Loner. And so that song I've always been fond of uh, from that tour. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's there. Uh, the Old Laughing Ladies, a weird one. They say the 
down. You got in, you know, last trip to the last trip to Tulsa is, you know, Neil beginning to do his epic songs. So I, I, I think you see hints of all the ingredients there for what's to come. Yeah, it's 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 kind of interesting to see. Like, I mean, the loner is as classic of a Neil Young song as as you can get. Same with Old Laughing Lady. I think is 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 uh, is one that kind of stands the test of time from this album there are two tracks on the album that that kind of popped out to me in this re-listen um because i i never really listened that much to neil young neil young growing up loving neil it was just for whatever reason it kind of sat on the back of my pile and you know because i was listening more to gold rush or everybody knows this is nowhere rust never sleeps those records but on this re-listen, like two two songs that really popped out to me for me, where I was like, "Wow, th- these are great." I don't know why I didn't pay much attention to this. I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting for you, and you've been coming to me. Yeah, is a great track, and here we are in the years. Now that the holidays have come, they can relax. Yeah, I was gonna say that song too. I was kind of shocked. I was like, wow, I don't know why. Um, David Bowie even covered uh, I've Been Waiting For You on the Heathen album. That's right. And I believe the Pixies also covered this song, I've Been Waiting For You, which I went back and listened to their covers. Mm -hmm. It was pretty cool to hear. But um, yeah, it kind of shocked me. I I think I have a little bit more love for this record going through it again for this. Sure. You know, it's an interesting thing about this record is that it's... um, it's Neil Young and a lot of session people doing the playing. It's like, it's Carol Kay and, and Ry Cooter. Ry Cooter, and, right. Yeah. Well, Pat, what Long did you, you <laughs> Pat has an interesting position. It seems like the three of us, Jason and Mike and myself, feels like we've, we lived with this album, maybe not as much as we would have, but I think Pat, you're, you're new to a lot of this stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. This is the first time I've heard all these albums in their entirety. Oh wow! I was I was a fan of Neil just from you know from what I've heard, mm-hmm. and that's and that's it. Like I would listen by song. I wouldn't listen really by album. And that's how I've always had a relationship with Neil Young. Like some of the later albums, maybe I've heard in their entirety. Like when I was, you know, at FMU and they were in the new bin, and I would you know check them out there. But I didn't I didn't ever have a big relationship with Neil Young as far as like diving into albums. So this is cool to kind of just go in, you know, hear the first album self-titled, which I always appreciate when someone just follows that formula. I don't know why, but I'm a sucker for that. Just like traditionally speaking of mm-hmm. calling your first thing out there, whatever your name is or whatever your band is. I think it's, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm always a, a fan of that. So, so this is cool. Uh, Neil Young by Neil Young uh, start to finish. I really like the record and it's, it's interesting. I agree with Mike. There's kind of hints at uh, him finding his sound and getting into like, you know, finding out what he wants to be, whether it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, a storyteller, uh, singer songwriter, if it's like, you know, uh, experimentation, if it's, if it's sort of a traditional folk act, he's kind of honing stuff in here and it's, it's, it's really cool. Um, I like, I love the ballad stuff and I love, um, I love the production of this album. I should say, like, I really liked the sound of it. Just sonically, was was uh, was cool. Yeah, it's got a very, it's got a very kind of thick, um, bo- like bottom heavy sound, mm-hmm. and it's earthy too. You know, it feels like uh, it's like it's a folk record. I don't know. I, lo- I love that. 
it's I, I, one of the things that's interesting to me, and you know, obviously, let's talk about it. Is like a, the 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 weird thing about Neil on this record is he's singing the songs slightly tentatively, like there's a like there he's there's a there's like a, a quality to his voice that sounds like somebody getting used to being in the studio or something mm-hmm. like that. That isn't as he's just not as open with his voice in certain spots and he he seems kind of even on like i've been waiting for you or like what did you do to my life is just like it's very measured his singing compared to where he would end up yeah like i don't think his singing really started to blossom or, or the, that that sort of fear of him being a singer uh, didn't really blossom until the first record with Crazy Horse, mm-hmm. because it's it's the same sort of sound with this record than that he had with the Springfield tracks in terms of just trying to hide because he was a little embarrassed. Because I mean, one thing we didn't talk about in um, episode zero is just how mean Stephen Stills was to Neil about his voice. Mm-hmm. I read a story about uh, one show. I, I want to say it was potentially at the Troubadour, I'm not sure, but after Neil sang a song, Stephen Stills turned to the audience and apologized um, that they had to hear that. And Neil ran off stage crying. So you can kind of see why this is, um, that what I just said is really going to hurt Stills' ranking, isn't it? No, I I would say you can see how um, Neil Young just then coordinated a 50-year payback for... (laughs) <laughs> of getting the guy hooked on yeah on his presence and yeah. systematically withdrawing it whenever he could hurt him the most and canceling on two stills young tours like <laughs> like he really it doesn't seem like neil let that one go no <laughs> he got his pound of flesh on that um because Neil's nickname and around this is when he got the nickname Shaky around this period, right? Mm-hmm. Is that is that true, Jason? I believe so. Yeah, it came around this time period. And they called him Shaky because he was kind of nervous and twitchy, nervous and right? twitchy, and 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 non-committal. I think. Yeah, and that you could hear it in you could, I mean, his. I don't know. He's he's already starting to become like. He's defining himself, and then he can just be himself. But mm-hmm. he's still with his first album. He's still he's still writing the book of who he's gonna be. And I yeah. believe I believe Shaky also comes from some of the epileptic fits that he came uh, that he had early on sure. in his career too. Well, then that's another great yeah name that his friends yeah. Yeah. His, good yeah. good friends yeah great group of guys. <laughs> then. Um, yeah. Yeah, I I love this album, uh, but it's it's probably my least not not the even least favorite. Just one I go to the least mm-hmm. um because I think of the the way it's played. It's it, it really is like him with with um with a band that doesn't quite fit yet. Right. And there were apparently a lot of uh clashes with Ry Cooter. They didn't get along or like each other. Okay. Yeah, but I but I will say I I do feel like I will revisit this record a little how more. That, how about that cover? What do we think of the cover of it? I I feel like the cover seems like uh 
like a, a low grade mural that you'd see. <laughs> yeah. uh, on the yeah. side of like a, a health food store. <laughs> yes, exactly. It would be like he'd be the owner of a health food store. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Shake Shakey's vitamins. Yeah. It's I mean it's a it's a very well meaning cover. It's it's gotta got, a, got a, an innocence to it which is which is charming, but it isn't the greatest cover. No. I, I it's like of its, it's it's of its time. I didn't yeah. even look at it till now, really, but like I, I saw it on the screen when I was playing the album, but I, I'm just looking at it now. Is that supposed to be a city that's in like a reflection of him? Uh, yeah. yeah. Upside down. It's really it's showing that he's got nature and and, and, and urban roots and yeah. commerce yeah so that's I, the first album i have a question though yeah. the, so i this could be a wikipedia glitch but the first sentence says uh in release history the first album release date was january 22nd 1969 yeah the album was remixed and re-released on young's 23rd birthday and maybe they're getting the year wrong here yeah they that needs to that needs to be flipped there november so. 12th 1968 yeah. So how somehow he remixed it and went back in time. He went back in time to fix it. Yes. On November 12th. Well, he uh, has a time machine. He does. Which would, that would be a great, like, if Neil Young played himself and uh, they did CGI and then he... he <laughs> if, uh-huh. We could write that script together, guys. Yeah, that would we be... Could. That would we could. Very... We have a lot of episodes of this show. Yeah. So, so what would what would this be about, Pat? It would be about this, Neil Young. This is Neil Young uh, after the 1969 January 12th release of this album, deciding that he wants to remix and re-release the album one year earlier uh, on his birthday of November 12th, 1968. Hi, everybody. Tim Heidecker here. We have a brand new Office Hours that just came out of the oven. We've got legendary psych rocker Ty Siegel. And Doug is back from down under. G'day. G'day. And his mommy came with him. Mommy and Gary Lusenhop are here too. Alicia let me know that she finished the White Album, has thoughts on that. So much more on this legendary episode of Office Hours. Find us on your podcast app of choice or watch us on YouTube at youtube.com slash office hours live. Who are the animals? Because I don't smell them. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's so yeah, so that's his big goal. For some reason. Yeah, yeah. He has to he has to do it. Maybe 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 it's because of Steven Stills. I don't know. But Yeah, he wanted to be he wanted to beat him to the Yeah. Uh, maybe just wanted to make him feel bad. <clears throat> maybe maybe the incident at the Troubadour is the inciting uh, you know, problem. <laughs> yeah. Story. I don't know. Start working on a time machine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, write all this down, Pat. All right. I gotta do it. I just yeah, one one more note. I, I just think that uh there's one reg- regrettably titled song on there. Uh, I I think. If I could have her tonight, you know. Uh I don't know. It just sounds like, you know, it's like Creepy. he's having a, like he's having a snack, you know. It's just have that word have is it yeah. bothers me a little bit. Yeah. That sort of thing pops back up, well, I think, on the Harvest record, too, you'll find. What do you mean, that a man needs a maid? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just someone to do all of the, the cooking and then go away. Yeah. Maybe that, that was a, a theme of early Neil. You wouldn't like that a little bit. Not 
it's not you're not bouncing them out because of gender. You're bouncing them out just because you're you would like somebody to go make your stuff and then. Oh yeah, it, it could be anyone. I just was, I don't want to. Was, yeah, <laughs> he should have just done a man needs a maid or a butler. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So so that's the first record that that has come out in '69. Yeah. And then you shoot forward four months mm-hmm. and you get everybody knows this is nowhere. And while this is going on, while Neil's doing all this stuff, mm-hmm. Crosby, Stills, and Nash are, are, have decided to play together, started to put a record together, and they went back and forth on whether it should be folkier or more rock or a combination of rock and folk. They weren't sure what the arrangements would be for it or the lineup and they considered John Sebastian at one point as a part of the band and uh, decided against that. What do you and think that would have been like? I think that would have been great. I think John Sebastian is, is one of my favorite songwriters. Love and Spoonful, those those records are outstanding. And um it would have it would have been weird because he because then John Sebastian would have been the most successful person in the band. Like the guy who wrote Do You Believe in Magic and Daydream and Summer in the City would suddenly be the uh, sharing a supergroup with people. Do you think Welcome Back would have been a CSNS song in the future? Oh, yeah. No, that would have definitely ended up on their one of their early 70s albums. They probably would have kept making records together. Yeah. He would not have been the wild card that Neil Young would have become for them. But so they're working on that. It seemed like there was like people kind of knew this was going to be a thing. Like there was a lot of buzz on it the way in the David Brown. I'm getting this from the David Brown book or paraphrasing it from the David Brown book that he um, they had a lot of discussion of like what label it was going to be on because certain pe- certain members had certain commitments to record labels. So there was like a lot of machinery happening at the same time that this is going on, like before their record came out. And in the, in the interim, Neil Young quickly puts his second album out. And it's a doozy. And it is a doozy. <laughs> it's probably, I mean, if I had to say top three Neil records, this is one of those, hands down. I have no problem with that. It's so hard for me to, um, to even pick these things because you just, you just start to realize the, I mean, and I, I know we, we've talked about it on the best show and the body of work is so, so astounding to me mm-hmm. that it's hard for me to even say what a top three Neil yeah. Young album would be. Yeah. Because if you say this is top three, then what do you do with, you know, Russ never sleeps or, or uh, after the gold rush or tonight's the night or on the beach. It's just like, yeah. where do you okay, make yeah. the, like, it's even, it's even a hard concept to, to already to rank. Uh, but, but it's a fair, it's, it's completely valid. I, I I would not be able to tell somebody it shouldn't be top three because it's it's just like right you the difference between this record and the solo out the previous one is shocking to me. Mm. Oh yeah. And frankly, I mean it stood the test of time that you know, this sounds like a record he could put out today. 
You know, it's 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 just got all the what he's become over the years. I mean, it's just I don't know, quintessential. Yeah. And this is the album is everybody knows this is nowhere with Neil Young, by Neil Young and Crazy Horse. Now, do you know Pat, uh, Jason about? Mm-hmm. Can you give some insight into? The origins of Crazy Horse. So Crazy Horse was initially a band called The Rockets uh, that was formed by uh, Danny Witten. It had a lot of different members in it. I think at one point in time, it went, there, were, there were like maybe six members, like three guitars. They were basically, um, they were kind of, a, they were a bar band. But Danny Witten was writing all of these amazing songs. Uh, Neil saw The Rockets. He just knew he had to have them. So he took three members. He because always has to have everything. I he's got to have them. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So he took Billy Talbot, Ralph Molina. Or well, let me say, Billy Talbot on bass, Ralph Molina on drums, mm-hmm. and Danny Witten on uh, guitar. And they, they, all, they all sing. Um, but, were, but were these guys known in the music scene anywhere? The Rockets had put out a record. And I... Like- were they anyone's like top pick or was Neil just like, I like these guys. They were nobody's pick. Yeah. And in fact, like the members of, we, we touched on this a little bit in episode zero, but the members of Crosby, Stills and Nash, especially David Crosby hated crazy horse. They thought they were like a bar band. They were, uh, uh, Joni Mitchell said they should never grace a stage. And they were LA based. They were LA based. And, um, Danny Witten, if I, I've, I've just been doing a reread of Shaky, uh, he, which is an outstanding book uh, by Jimmy Donna, um, yeah. who wrote this the really epic Neil Young biography, probably fifteen years ago by this point. Yeah, I think it came out in two thousand two thousand two. Wow, that early. He was on the best show uh, around when the book came out, and oh wow, great conversation. He was. Um, really interesting guy so that's in the archive somewhere you should we should get them back for this yeah but anyway the rockets were a band they were uh i mean they people love them in the in the la area and the other members of the rockets kind of felt like neil swooped in took them but they thought that the members that the rockets would still exist and the more that they they saw neil play with these members they knew that the band was done. And Neil, so, so Neil took the Rockets, and that's also why there is a, a, a track on this record called um, Requiem for the Rockets. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's kind of running dry Requiem for the Rockets uh, is, is, is in reference to that. Um, Neil changed their band name to Crazy Horse, mm-hmm. and that was that. Yeah, and this, this record has... Um some of his his biggest songs on it yeah crazy it's got cinnamon girl and down by the river Cowgirl in the Sand. Hello, cowgirl in the sand. Cowgirl in the sand. And the, the title track. Everybody seems to wonder what it's like down here. I gotta get away from this day to day running around. 
which I feel like that title, that song, everybody knows this is nowhere. I think is still one of the, one. It, it's got, that's one of my favorite Neil Young songs because it's, it's under three minutes long and mm-hmm. I really don't even know what kind of precedent there is for that song. It's the weirdest song ever. It's kind of like a country garage <laughs> song that's kind of like open aired in a way in the playing, but it's also, it's, it's really, I don't even know how on earth you, I, I feel like that song is so monumental in its, in its weird concise construction i think the way the way that you just described that though nails what crazy horse was Mm -hmm. you know just open air playing country garage now the cool thing about everybody knows this is nowhere it was originally recorded for neil young neil young yeah in a very different arrangement completely different it's the only carryover song that's on this record all the other songs were written new for this album um, one another thing that was a big part of the change in sound from everybody knows this is nowhere from the self-titled album is this was all recorded live. Which yes, and that makes all the difference. He's playing with a band that he has a connection with now, and they are jamming out on these songs, and really just that that makes the difference between the the first record sounds assembled and this just sounds played. Like the first, the first album, yeah, completely. The first, yeah. al- like the just the idea of how to make an album changed because I read a story with Robin Lane, uh, who does the background vocals on uh, Round and Round, which emotionally that a song that emotionally gets me every time I listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but he asked her to do the backing vocals on it, and they did a scratch take uh, with her basically learning it as she sang. And then at, after, at the end of that take, she's like, okay, let's do it for real now. And he's like, oh, no, that was it. Wow. To where the first record was just overdub city. They were going in, getting every note right. Neil's mind, uh, mindset of making a record really shifted here. Now, Pat, where, yes. where, where, how did this album... Uh, hey, what's Pat's take? This is this album was out of out of everything we listened to for this out of like the the assign the, the listen to this assignments for this episode. This is the best album of that, mm-hmm. I think. Um, the next album by Neil is also great, but like there's mm-hmm. something there's something kind of perfect about this album. Uh, I really, I I did listen to it once. I do. I am going to listen to it again, but like this is probably my pick of where I would go back to first you know mm-hmm. of the list of the albums we listen to this is the one i would listen to next uh, like in its entirety uh i thought it was great and i agree with you guys it's it's um this album seems played it's not assembled it's just they they got they they were hot they were they went into the studio and they just hit record and then you know this this record came out i mean it's it's so uh i don't know it's it's just kind of um you know Wherein I said the first album, Neil's Neil's kind of figuring it out. If he's you know, is he going to be a folk singer? Is he going to be? He's going to sing ballads. Is he going to, you know, have a certain sound? This this album is just like cool. Figured it out. Hit record and uh, let's just do this. Yeah. <laughs> it's like what? Well, what happened? It's the same year. Like what happened in that time? <laughs> where, where you just as an artist just clicked and figured out like you know like 
you know, if, if I've ever considered myself an artist, I've never figured it out. I've never figured out what I want, like what it is I'm going to, you know, do in this world. What's going to be my stamp on art. This guy figures it out in however many, how many months was it, Jason? Between so, the, so the first record was recorded. Five. Five yeah. or six, right? Like that's Yeah, the first crazy. record was recorded August to, no, August to October 1968. And then uh, everybody knows this is nowhere was recorded January and March 1969. Wow. Mm -hmm. I mean, I really, so. I would love, to, I would love to, to see something made like either like an in-depth, well, we're doing an in-depth podcast, but like, you know, like a documentary, something where like, you know, we find out what exactly he did between those months. I would love to like, mm -hmm. did, was he jamming with the Rockets? Was he just like, was he just like, cool, come over after, uh, after you guys finish this gig and let's just jam till six in the morning and uh, record the whole thing and find the best nuggets. Like something happened where he was grooving mm -hmm. with these guys and he had a bunch of, he just, he must've been writing this like three songs a day and just took Well, he, he, one of the legendary stories is around this time he had this really high fever. It was really sick. Really? And when he was... In this, he wrote Cinnamon Girl and he wrote Down by the River and Cinnamon Girl and Cowgirl in the Sand. Is that the thing? Yes. In the, in like a burst of of uh, inspiration while having this like hundred and what was it, like a hundred three yeah. degree fever or something. Yeah, hundred three. Like, yeah, yep. like so the stuff came out of this weird day, and I I don't know how how um. I don't know. There might be some myth making going into that. I'm sure <laughs> just, but it could also with him, it could be very real because he works in bursts. Yeah. Uh, like incredible hot streaks. And when he's hot, he's, he, I don't know who else would be hotter when he's yeah. on. Um, he also likes to record during a full moon. Mm -hmm. he, he finds that's the best time for uh, creativity. Yeah, and for recording, I don't know if that really hit with this record or not, but that's something I've I've read about, you know, especially for the recording of uh, Colorado, it's, the latest it's, Neil Young Crazy Horse album. This record is simple and it's raw and it's mm -hmm. kind of perfect. Uh, and like even like when you think about like Down by the River would be the song I know from like classic rock radio or something, mm -hmm. you know, or just people yeah. playing it in my life. And I know and that, that was the first single from the record. <laughs> it's nine minutes long. Yeah. It's nuts. It's nuts. And it, they're like, it, there's no like, is there like a radio version? Like, I don't even know. Like the ver the version we would hear in New York on like Q104, was that the nine minute version? Or oh yeah, that's there, the nine minute version. That's wild to me. Yeah. Uh, but this, but this is like the thing, like that band, Neil's songs, that record, right? Like think about the simplicity, even in just like on the chorus of Down by the River, when, when he says those lines with a little bit of harmony and the, all the drums do is just go that like, Tucka, 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 like that little, you know, single yeah. note fill. Uh, it's so simple, you know. It's yeah, just, and it's and it's great. Like it doesn't need anything else on top of it. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and one of the one of the um, the other elements that he kind of reveals now is his uh, is his uh, guitar playing you get this, you finally, it's like the first taste of the Neil solos where you can do, or he could do a one note solo mm -hmm. on down by the river and you completely, it's, it's just, it goes so against the virtuosity of 
the time it's it's feeling and it's really just uh it's such a pure expression of stuff through his guitar playing also where he's not like doing some showboaty solo which yeah. is definitely the opposite of him in stills like yeah absolutely stills was such like a of like a flourishy kind of player and it was like a r- insanely professional guitar player and neil was just so much about feeling to where he could just do the no 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 like the idea of that being the solo was just one note it starts with one note less is more yeah mike what what is your relationship to this album yeah i it's interesting hearing you guys i agree with you tom I think my favorite song now is Everybody Knows This Is Nowhere, uh, because mainly because I wasn't overexposed to it. I mean, it, it was crazy that they could play Down By The River, Cowgirl In The Sand, and, well, Cinnamon Girl's a, a typical length, but they would play those songs on the radio. Mm-hmm. So, so I was sort of, I mean, they're, they're great songs, they're still great songs, but I was a little overexposed to them probably. That's why I think I gravitate to that song now, the title song. Mm-hmm. But uh, I did have a recent, uh, not not too recent, a couple, few years ago. I was in a bar, and uh, down by the river came on, and it was it was such a a pure moment of the whole bar singing, down by the river. I killed my baby, you know, and they're like singing at the top of their throats, you know. It was just. I don't know. It's just one of those moments where I, I'll never forget, you know, like a whole bar singing that line and it was bizarre. <laughs> yeah. That's the beauty of Bayonne right there. <laughs> Everybody, <laughs> the community gathers together <laughs> to, to collectively sing a song about shooting, <laughs> shooting a woman. <laughs> and it's the, bottom, the, bottom, it's the it's the one place in the world where it could have been anywhere. It was it was Mike, it was Mike, it was Bayonne. <laughs> You're not. What do you think? Where do you think? Where do you think I thought you were? <laughs> it could have been anywhere. Yeah, no, it could have. I knew where you were. I knew where you were. <laughs> um, yeah, it's really. Um, and look, I don't know what the deal. I'm sure that song would fall under the problematic category now of things but i it's like when you when you think about it it should be i guess right it's yeah yeah not a great sentiment to go shoot someone i don't know it's it's but it's um i i would think he was probably working in the tradition he thought he was working in the tradition like lead belly and all these blues songs about just shooting your you know murder murder ballad yeah murder ballad thank you yeah i i love this album so much this yeah. is this is just like i i feel like it's it's just one of the all time expressions and it's a it's a, such an amazing thing to 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 track somebody finding their their voice like this like pat was saying um uh, i i just i i this is one of the all time great records Oh, the cover also, by the way. What do we, the, I, I love the cover of the album, too, which is a blurry photo of Neil outside leaning against a tree with, an, with an, a dog. It's a great cover. You can see that this album, this cover fits 
this record so well where yeah you know the the natural food store cover <laughs> didn't work shaky's yeah. um vitamins. shaky's vitamins yeah. shaky's wellness and vitamins yeah <laughs> um, yeah, yeah it, it's funny we were just we were talking about the uh the fighting between stills and neil young but i think maybe i'll, I'll discuss the weirdest thing about steven Steele's solo record is that cover and mm-hmm. is that a goof is that cover a goof on Neil Young's? Because the, the Stephen Stills record has this giraffe in it for no real reason. You know, I mean, you look at that photo, without the giraffe, it would have been a perfect album cover. But he's got this weird giraffe, little uh, miniature giraffe next to him. And I'm wondering if, that, if that's some sort of dig at Neil Young for the dog. I don't think it's a dig. I think he probably <laughs> thought it was creative. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he might think it's a, I mean, I don't know if it's a dig or not, but he, it, it, it might definitely, it's probably a reference to it. You think? Uh, yeah, it could be. I think so. I think he could be making like a, like a, just like a reference to it. It's like, hey, I got an album, I got a little animal on my cover, especially <laughs> that bird. And it's not, it, I mean, I never thought of that until you're saying it now, Mike, and it is, yeah. it's, I've it could be. A, I don't know. That's that's maybe one we could research and then talk about next episode. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I'm looking at it right now. Uh, the front cover photograph was taken by uh, photographer Henry Diltz during a snowy September morning outside Stills' cabin in Colorado. The pink giraffe in the cover is thought to be a secret message to one of his girlfriends. Uh, could have been Rita Coolidge, who had mm-hmm. just left him. For who do who do you think this girlfriend left uh, Stills for, guys? Who did Rita Coolidge leave stills for? Yes. If you had to guess, based on information we gave you in episode zero. Yeah, it's Graham Nash. Graham Nash, which was one of the (laughs) contributing factors of the demise of CSNY. Yeah, exactly. Guy can't can't keep it in his pants. (laughs) (laughs) So I think we're all pretty sold on... uh, Everybody knows this is nowhere. Another thing that I I do want to point out here is this is the only time that Neil Young with Crazy Horse, with Danny Witten, worked as a cohesive unit. Because after this record, Danny Witten really went into the throes of a heroin addiction. Yeah, and I mean, that's Danny Witten basically co-singing Cinnamon Girl. Yeah. That's like a, that's a shared lead vocal. Neil Witten. And a shared lead guitar on uh, "Down by the River." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does anybody does anybody know what year the the solo Crazy Horse record came out? Because that's a great record too. Nineteen seventy. Seventy. Oh, really? Same yeah. year. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's People a great album. Look, yeah, look into that record too. I mean, that, that's a great record. Yeah, come on, baby, let's go downtown. Is a great yeah. song. Yeah. yeah. Ended up uh, in Neil's. Uh, ended up resurfacing yep and that and that recording of uh neil young with crazy horse at the fillmore east mm-hmm. uh that came out with archives is fantastic oh that's 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 that's, as, that's the perfect accompaniment to this album is this neil young live album from from the same period where you see that this is who that you see who the band is it's all they're almost like mirror versions mm-hmm. of of this for of this uh album so then, but then, where do we go, Jason? We go to the biggie. We go to the biggie, guys. We go right to the self-titled debut album 
Uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash released in stores on May 29th, 1969. Yeah, and this was a record that it seemed like there was so much hype around. Like they they played it at the Fillmore before other shows that were not even like, that were not Crosby, Stills, and Nash shows. They would just play it or they'd play, they'd play it on the radio, and people were just losing their marbles for this record mm-hmm. in anticipation of it. Sold over 4.2 million copies, went four times platinum. This was a huge record. This was, a, uh, this was the first real supergroup, and Atlantic Records sold a lot of copies for them. Yeah. I don't know. What, what do you think about this record, everybody? I think there's uh, some solid songs on there. I mean, Sweet Judy Blue Eyes is great. Getting to the point where I'm no fun anymore. I am sorry. Uh, wooden ships. Wooden ships on the water, very free and easy. You know, I mean, I was sort of more familiar with uh, Jefferson Airplane. Did that as well. They did a great version of that song. Um, that song was written on the Mayan, David Crosby's boat. Oh, okay. <laughs> that uh, he was out and about with Paul Cantor. After he got fired from the birds, David Crosby got a loan, or I don't even know if he ever paid. Peter Tork from the Monkees gave him $25,000 to purchase the Mayan. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he ever paid Tork back, uh, but that's the boat that. I bet he didn't. I'm gonna I don't think he did. He would probably just be like, he, you could picture Crosby just going like, like justifying it and just being like, that's that monkey's money. Uh, I'm an artist. He yeah. made this pop group money. Yeah. It should finance the boat of an artist. <laughs> I don't have the paperwork on it, so yeah. I'm not exactly sure whether he, he paid back Peter Tork or what the, the terms of the loan were. I'm going to just assume he didn't. Though. He didn't pay Tork back. Yeah. Another thing, uh, speaking of the monkeys that we don't, we haven't really touched on in, in at least in the pre CSN episode, is that Stephen Stills was up to be a monkey before all of this. Yeah, he auditioned for the monkeys, and um, I don't know if he told them to check out Peter Tork or if how that worked. You hear different versions of how that all went down. I think there's a, 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 a there's probably a lot of uh, like the way everybody says they were at Woodstock or everybody says they had the first Moog in uh, the U.S. or like whatever. <laughs> like everybody's always claiming they had the first of this or the first of that. So it just says like, oh, I was an audition for the Monkees. I turned it down. It's like, okay, well. But Peter Torg made a lot of money from the Monkees and he gave some of it to David Crosby to write his songs and sail around the world on his boat. <laughs> But Wooden Ships is like one of those quintessential CSN songs that I always think of. Whenever somebody says, like, name a CSN song, it always pops up into my mind. Sure. Long Time Gone is another good one. I really yeah. Sure it is. Oh. I need a piece to be I never had this record. I just never liked Crosby, Stills, and Nash. But uh, just listening to the radio, it's like you grow up, it's like five of these songs were on the radio, right? Yeah. A lot? Yeah, like, constantly. 
Marrakesh Express and Sweet Judy Blue Eyes and Long Time Gone. And I mean, I guess to a lesser degree, Wooden Ships mm-hmm. or Guinevere, maybe. It's a huge record and it sounds amazing. It's a, re- it's a really, yeah. it's an incredibly well made record and the production is, is really uh, outstanding. And that's Stills. Yeah. Just going to town on the recording of this thing. I don't know. It's also the first record. You can see the individual personalities start to pull out, like to start to start to uh, kind of reveal themselves in what each member brings to the table. Mm-hmm. Like like Nash does. Um, like what Marrakesh Express is Graham Nash. Lady of the Island, maybe. Yep. And pre-road downs. Is it just me, or, or I just I just find his songs lightweight. You know, it's just like I don't know. Just to, I never liked yeah. his contributions. No, I, I I agree with you. To me, they're just like they're like they're like you know how Paul McCartney would always have these songs. You'd just be like like oh well, that's that's not his best song, but he's still an amazing technician and can write melodies and. Do, just kind of construct these songs even if they're not your favorite song you have to admire the the pop part of it mm-hmm. uh, and i kind of feel that way with the graham nash songs like they always just feel like well no they're they're definitely catchy there's no denying the melody in it but i also don't necessarily like it mm-hmm. i like it it's uh i think they're the ones that i kind of grew up singing a little bit more i don't know they connected with me a little more as a as a kid Constantly sure. listening to my parents blast Crosby, Stills, and Nash cassettes mm. on Saturday afternoons. Um, I don't, but but even just looking at it now as a as an older dude, you know, I really like Pre Road Downs. Okay, I think it's a fun. I think it's a good song. Um, okay. Another thing about this record too is uh, they initially recorded a cover of Fred Neal's "Everybody's Talking" to be on this record. Mm-hmm. That wasn't yeah. included. Yeah, I heard. I heard they ha- they have that on extended version on uh, on Spotify, mm-hmm. and yeah, I I not a big fan. It, it didn't really add anything. Um, so yeah, I didn't think it was such a great cover. Pat, what's your take on this album? Liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I I actually liked it better than Deja Vu. Um, but. Yeah, it's 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 <clears throat> it reminds me of a time like I, I played in a in um I don't even know how many of you guys know this, but I played in in a country rock band that toured for a little while and in my uh mid twenties and I was the drummer and everyone in the band was older than me and they all had these kind of like, you know, very deep divey kind of, you know. They, they knew way more music than I did. And a lot of the times they would play albums kind of like this in the, in the, in the car. We may have even listened to this album in its entirety. I don't know, but they listened to a lot of bands like uh, Sutherland brothers um, and uh, like grin Nils Lofgren's band. Um, and it reminds me of that time. Like when I listen to this album, it reminds me of, uh, of being in that van with them and like listening to albums like this and, and playing shows. So it, it, it kind of brought me back to that period for, for, uh, for 
for me and I liked it a lot. It was, it's kind of simple. I like its production and there's just a lot of good songs on it. Uh, it's not like, you know, I think it's a good debut for the, for them as a, as a band. And I didn't know this, but it, it won a Grammy that year for best new artist. Yeah. I, first of all, I didn't know anything about this country rock band, Pat. I didn't either. You just, you just opened up a can of worms on this one. <laughs> yeah. Were you in Poco? We're going to be talking about this. I'm going to need some country rock band touring stories from you. Do you have a nudie suit? It, it, was, it was two years. Um, two was solid years? This is all you did with a country two, rock band? I, I did a lot. I, it's crazy because I was 25. So it was 10 years ago. Did you have long um, hair? I had cut the hair then. Okay. I, I, I did have long you almost, hair. You almost cut your hair. <laughs> 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 wow! Here's in why humor. So yeah, it was it was a it was a you know it was kind of over quicker than I thought. But like when I first moved to Jersey City, they were kind of the hot band in and around town, like Maxwell's and uh, bar shows in Jersey City. Like they would pack them in. They had like a local following, and I was actually what band a fan. was this? Uh, it was called Any Day Parade, okay. and you can find it. It's on Spotify and stuff. Uh, and I'm not on any of the recordings. They had a really, really good drummer before me. I was a fan of them. Like I was, I was a local guy. I just moved there like a year or two into living in Jersey. I didn't know anyone. And I would just go to their shows. They were like the hot band. Um, and then they, uh, their drummer left like suddenly. And the singer who went by Tree, uh, this girl who lived in my neighborhood, I met her at a New Year's Eve party. And she was like... Um, Oh, you play drums? You should join our band when our drummer leaves. And I thought she was kidding. And like, I'm not, I'm not, a, I wasn't, I never consider myself like a really good drummer, but she was like, no, that's perfect. Like he's, he's too good. We need someone simple or something. And I was like, okay. And then I, 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 uh, you know, I knew how to play a shuffle pretty well. And that's, I think how I got the gig. Uh, and we went on, we went on two tours. One was to South by Southwest in 2010. And we played, um, Kind of like what well, they they were like you know those unofficial shows like we weren't like officially on the festival but we played like a lot of the uh, the parties and like yeah you know, unofficial things sure sure and and the band was having internal problems around then this is like after like a, a little over a year and a half um, almost at the two year two two year mark for me and our van died on the way home to Jersey. And when the van died, it was like, that was it. The band, the band died too. That was some, I don't know why, but you know, when we were, when we were going out of South by and we were like playing bigger shows, I was like, for a second there, I was like 25 going on 26. And I was like, maybe this is what I do for a living. Maybe this is who I am. I was like still yeah. young enough. I was still young enough that I was like, wait a minute. Like this is, you know, this is going somewhere. Like these guys are, you know, going to be it. And I'm, I'm, I'm in the band. And then it was over it was just over and it was, it was, it was like a breakup. It was like a real like emotional breakup. Like I, I felt like I, uh, like I lost a girl I loved or something. It was, it was heartbreaking, but wow. yeah, but they were I a good band. Any of this, Pat. Yeah. I you had know, no idea. I've known I'm you like, for so long. I'm like an onion guys. I've done. <laughs> no, I really are. Yeah. I, I realize that now. <laughs> any, and, and any day parade, it's still on They're They're still on Spotify and all the stuff. Uh, the singer's voice, I, I really liked her voice a lot. Uh, she's still making music. Her name's Tree, Melissa Jackson. Um, hmm. and, but yeah, in the van uh, and like at practice and rehearsals and stuff, they were like, 
our our bass player Chuck, he he looked like David Crosby. Like he had the hair, the mustache. Like they were playing a lot of this stuff. So like I, it's not a lot of it's like you know for me some of it it's kind of like revisiting stuff that maybe I heard ten eleven years ago and I didn't really realize. But um, mm-hmm. you know, and I've been on other tours with bands, either selling merch or you know going out with somebody just to get out of town. I mean, I've I've, I've probably been on about five or six tours. Um, and you know, someone plays Neil Young in the car or someone plays an old, you know, uh, maybe one, maybe this album, I don't even know. But so like, you know, I have an understanding of it, but, but this, this album to me, it brought me back to that time and it really like emotionally, it sounded, it sounded like that. It made me miss the band. It made me miss playing. And, and so that was my takeaway from Crosby, Steelers and Nash self-titled. Sure. Can I just say, guys, uh, so far, um, out of looking all of these at all of these records today, and even on the pre-CSN uh, episode we did, I'm really enjoying Pat's take. Yeah. No, it's nice to have somebody who who is relatively fresh to the to these songs, even because there's stuff that Pat. It's clear that you heard, but maybe didn't identify as being them or stuff you knew. You just didn't know these as as the full albums the way, yes. right? You know, because look, I didn't know this. I didn't know this, this Crosby, Stills and Nash album as an album. I never listened to this straight through. Yeah, I, it just wasn't my thing. I just I was repulsed by these guys. <laughs> yeah, they were just they represented everything I didn't want in music. Just like there's so much. Like you can feel like like the, when they get bloated, they get so bloated. Yeah, like the bloat shows up and never kind of goes away. But this is like the maybe the this is one of the only times that the the bloat isn't there yet. Like they're still like really hungry, and they're still proving themselves and kind of making their mark. And then they made their mark, and then kind of got self self uh absorbed and it a little bit of a little bit of a uh, imperial imperious vibe kind of but, but, but there is something yeah there's something kind of pure about this album i don't know what it's just yeah. like it's simple it's mm-hmm. kind of like neil's first album in a way you know yeah they, they're, i mean they're figuring it out and they're actually shockingly ahead of the curve i think i think that's the impressive thing to me is just for a debut album it's so self-assured yeah like they they know who they are on yes. with this and it's real that's that's really impressive that there isn't that everything they did before was the was the preparation for this moment yes and, and i think that confidence is what maybe got them that grammy i don't know yeah look i i feel like i like crosby's songs um because they just have that slightly, his melodies are not as as straightforward as Nash's. Um, Stills' stuff is like very. I, I like his playing more than his songwriting. Like I like his voice, and I like his guitar playing. His songwriting is always kind of like there's like a ponderous quality to it sometimes. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, like it's all not it's all, the tempos are all like very kind of like grinding and ugh. <laughs> it's slightly, it gets slightly exhausted. Um, 
Yeah, so I don't I'm, know. I, I'm, I'm not even sure, like, I mean, Nash's songs sort of stick out more to me than the Crosby and um, Stills songs. Like Sweet Judy Blue Eyes, that's a Stills song, right? Or am I yes. wrong? Yeah, no, that's yep. Stills, yeah. Okay. And Long Time Gone is Stills too? Long Time Gone is Crosby. That's Crosby. Oh, that's Crosby. See, I, I haven't even worked out the difference between Stills and, and Crosby on some of yeah. these songs. So, no, but, the, but they're they're kind of sharing similar space more than Nash. Mm-hmm. Like Crosby and Stills are closer together than either of them are to Nash in terms of uh, background. Because, I mean, the Birds and Buffalo Springfield were very similar bands. So their their backgrounds were 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 kind of the same. I will say that this is one of the records, and I think in terms of anything that Crosby, Stills, and Nash has done, and that we'll find moving through all of their records. This is one of the records where I can put it on and really kind of enjoy every track on it. Even if it's something I'm not like super psyched about, it's, there's nothing that I, that I absolutely okay. hate on this record. Sure. See, for me, for me, like Guinevere was sort of, I don't know, too wishy-washy. I, I, you know, I, that's not a good word, but I don't know. It just, to me, that sounded dated. Guinevere. I think that like when you listen to a track like Guinevere you have to think of like what would this have had have sounded like if he tried to do it with the birds I think that Stills kind of harnessed this and like closed it in and made it make a little more sense than I don't know like then this would have been like a like a mind gardens type track on a, on a birds record yeah. You know, you know, uh, Crosby had had Dylan beat by a few decades with "Long Time Gone" because it's about the uh, Kennedy assassination. He got him by about fifty years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he did it in a much shorter. Uh, yeah, he he shorter. beat him in time and and yeah. uh, and also length. Yeah. 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 Now, what if this record was a drug? What drug would this would it be? <laughs> uh, Ambien. Well, what drug do you think that made the what record? Oh. What drug do you think was driving the making of this record? Cocaine. I, no, I think it's just just regular old pot. I think it's coke and pot. Yeah, and beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I, this is a good segment. Yeah. Okay. What, well, let's do that for the let's what, maybe not for every single record because we're going to hit some of the same answers. I know for a lot of these. And the point <laughs> is, it's going to be cocaine, 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 <laughs> cocaine. Definitely coke. Yeah, guys, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this Manassas record was cocaine. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Sweet Judy Blue Eyes. I could see coke on that song, right? I just feel like him being like stills being so incredibly precise with this whole thing and like outworking it feels very kind of coked up to me. Okay. Yeah, I mean like I know he coked he coked up quite a bit uh to to do all of the long hours in the studios. Yeah. Uh when, you know, uh, Crosby and Nash would just leave they would come back to studio. Stills was still there in the, like, the same clothes. Mm-hmm. He, it's clear he hasn't left the studio in over 24 hours. Yeah. Like the Neil records feel like pot and beer to me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like what do you think, Pat? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like those records feel like 
we're those just are pot and beer specials. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're spreading out and jamming it and we're in the in the in the groove and we're we we are high and we we are having fun. We we feel good and warm, but there's also an element of yeah. these of these substances that is a depressant. Yeah. Yes. There's also but, an element of it being a downer. But this this first Crosby Stills Nash album has the feel of the right amount of if there is such a thing as the right amount of cocaine. This record feels <laughs> like they found the they had it in the right spot. They yeah. didn't. They, it was not too much cocaine yet. Yeah, it wasn't indulgent yet. No. Like, hey, a little pick-me-up. Help me get through the night. <laughs> a little toot-toot. Yeah, not, not we're doing, we're not going to the studio because there's coke there. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think turns into the feel on some of these things. It's just like, yeah, man, we need to get some coke. <laughs> well, I know the engineer <laughs> over at the studio has some. Yeah. yeah, we should go there. Maybe well, we could record while we're there too. I guess. Um, so this record, yeah, I feel like. Is there anything else anybody wants to say about this record? No, I th- I think we covered it. I I think uh, this was a hugely successful record um, for Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and I, I think it was so hugely successful that they immediately had to tour. So the the trio hired drummer Dallas Taylor, who played on some of the tracks on uh, the initial on the on the self titled record, and uh, session bassist Greg Reeves. And then they thought we need a keyboardist, and that keyboardist they threw out names. But uh, how do you? I, is it Ahmet Ertgun? Am I pronouncing that correctly? Ahmet Ertgen. Ertgen. There we go. See, I I'm learning something on this. Is that right, Mike? Yes. Yeah. So Ahmet Erdogan suggested yeah. Neil Young be the keyboard player for Crosby, Stills and Nash on tour. Now, initially, they wanted him just to be a hired gun, uh, but he wouldn't do that. Yeah. He wanted to be an equal member. Um, he would play keyboards and guitar. And they, uh, with some initial trepidation because of Stills' relationship with Young in Buffalo Springfield, um, they all agreed. Uh, I believe that Graham Nash met with Neil in Greenwich Village, and he really enjoyed their conversation. So that kind of sealed the deal. And they became Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, started their tour, played their very first show in Chicago with Joni Mitchell opening. And their very second show was... Woodstock. Woodstock. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what were you buzzing him? <laughs> no, I was playing. I was doing the guitar intro to Woodstock. I got it. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. <laughs> Mike gets it. Um, yeah, and this record. They, so their their second show was at Woodstock, which was three months after the album came out, and immediately just kind of solidified their 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 status because the because the shortly after the con- the concert was was incredibly uh, hyped as this 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 important event, and then the subsequent movie and soundtrack just mm-hmm. took it over the over the top for what the Woodstock for the world Woodstock meant, and these guys kind of won along with like Jimi Hendrix, I guess, and Santana. 
kind of were the ones that came away from Woodstock with everybody buzzing. The Who? The Who, right? Yeah. But I mean, the Who, I feel, I don't know, I feel like Monterey Pop, the Who probably made their mark there. That's true. As That's much true. as, because this was like their, their coming out party. Yeah. So. Richie Havens. Richie Havens, yes. Yeah. Stillwater, Shanana, so many. Yeah. <laughs> so many <laughs> this was really a, uh, the moment for Shanana. Yeah. So they play Woodstock. They their legend grows. The record is huge. Like Pat said, it wins wins a, a Grammy. Best new and, artist. Yes, and then then Crosby's girlfriend dies mm-hmm. in a car car collision, which is a, a which kind of is something that 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 affected him. Obviously, affected him for the rest of his life and he it just it it was this this kind of this sadness got cast over the whole um over him that you can kind of feel on the on deja vu you can feel that yeah the the joy of the first record was pretty much gone i think because of that that sort of uh you know from crosby dealing with that during the deja vu sessions yeah so it was a, a strange record because they added Neil and then there was also Crosby was, was, uh, was suffering. So another um, thing I want to throw in real quickly too, is another person that was considered for uh, the keyboardist slot in Crosby, Stills and Nash was Steve Winwood, Who would have been coming out of, um, was, where was the traffic? Yeah. Spencer yeah, the traffic group. at the Spencer point. Davis group, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Spencer yeah. Davis group and traffic and then and Bl- Blind Faith hadn't happened yet, right? I don't think so. No, Blind Faith would be would he who he would have been doing Blind Faith instead of Yes. Yeah. yeah. So so nineteen seventy, the second album comes out in March of nineteen seventy. Yep. And that album is Deja Vu. And what are people's thoughts about that? I listened to this record more than the first one. I had both records when I was young, but this, again, Neil Young was always the factor with me. And so uh, I listened to this a lot more. Uh, I still think it's a, de- a good record. Mm-hmm. You know, you got Carry On. I mean, Teach Your Children, again, it's sort of, you know, it's a nice sentiment. Teach. Your children well, their father's hell did slowly go by. Uh, it's got Jerry Garcia on steel guitar, uh, but you know it still feels a little lightweight. Uh, but you, you know you got some great songs on here: Woodstock, Deja Vu. Almost cut my hair. Almost cut my hair. See, almost cut my hair will be my sort of cringe wordy. Really? Yeah. I'm with Mike on this one. Really? Yeah. Oh my god. You know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, let's face it. You know, yeah, hair was hair was a big deal back then. It's not a big deal now. So, so now it just seems like. What? You're getting all worked up because you almost got a haircut? <laughs> um, Tom, I understand 
Tom, I understand that joke you made earlier now. I'm good. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Pat. You're, yeah. It's, um, yeah. yeah, to me, it's like I was talking to uh, Ronnie Bronstein, who is uh, uh, the guy who wrote the Safdie Brothers Uncut Gems, co-wrote it. And then he loves this show, by the way. Oh, great. And then he said, um, he called this out and was just like, it's the even even the even the 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 title of it like almost cut my hair. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, whoa. So you almost cut it, huh? <laughs> I I still I, I'm kinda torn out. I kinda like almost cut my hair. I like I like almost cut my hair, but I think it sucks at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I I like it. I love the guitars in it. Mm-hmm. I love this track live. Mm-hmm. I never really looked at it more about about the about the haircut. I took it more as just the paranoia that Crosby and and people like Crosby kind of felt in that era. Yeah, no, I I get that, and I just think he's an easy target sometimes for his for his for his kind of like very heart on his sleeve um, pomposity. Mm-hmm and and outrage and stuff like that has not aged particularly well his some of that stuff so it's an easy it's easy to knock crosby for it but i'm still doing it so i don't know (laughs) yeah look i i think it's to me it's kind of like stills puts the makes the stuff sound great Mm -hmm. and his his singing is really uh I really do like Stills' voice in the context of Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I think, yeah, I think I think that gives his, that's the best place for his voice uh, and for his singing and uh, for his playing because he, I don't like when Stills is the only uh, the only singer, which we'll talk about shortly. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, like like Carry On is a is a really is a really good song. Like another one of those ones I just heard growing up on the radio all the time. Like that mm-hmm. and Our House. Light the fire. You place the flowers in the vase that you bought today. Because I mean, like, look, Our House is like fourth rate Paul McCartney. <laughs> i i have i have a fun fact about that song okay what's that i allegedly visited the how or i i I did visit a house but i but but this house was allegedly the house that graham nash wrote our house about in los angeles okay so i i went there uh my friend katie was staying there she's like a, a best friend of my older sister so my older sister moves to san francisco um, I drive cross country solo in 2011. That's another thing you guys don't know about me, but we'll get into another time. And I, I drive to Pat Burn Onion. Yeah, I, part of the Onion. I drive cross country one summer in my late 20s. Uh, visit my sister who just moved to San Francisco. Her and I drive down to LA to visit her friend Katie that just moved there, and she's house sitting at this place that's kind of like you know, a house on the cliffs of, uh, you know, I don't know which neighborhood now, but it, but, um, there, there's a framed 45 and on the second floor. 
and I'm looking at it and it's Crosby, Steele's and Nash, um, our house, a single for our house. And I'm like, Oh, cool. And uh, you know, uh, this is just on display there. And, and Katie comes up to me and she's like, she's like, yeah, Graham Nash actually wrote that about this house. Cause he was living here in the time he was in the band. And I was like, I was like, no way. And she's like, yeah. And it wasn't like a huge house. It was like a, you know, average regular house, but allegedly him and his wife at the time or girlfriend were living in this house. He wrote that about this place. Joni I don't Mitchell. know if it's true. Oh, jo- Joni Mitchell. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. So him and Joni Mitchell. Yeah, actually. Yes. She said that. Sorry. And uh, it was her two cats in the yard. Okay. Were the cats still there? Well, there was a lot of cats. I think they're they, buried in the front yard. <laughs> it was a nice, it was a nice uh, place. Uh, and um i believe it who knows who knows if it's true no i that sounds not like something that you'd be pretty demented to fake <laughs> yeah it's so specific and weird to fake <laughs> you yeah. you if you were like busted on that right never talk to you again because it would make you an insane person yeah like what what a weird specific thing to come up yeah. with like you own, <laughs> you own a bunch of airbnbs and you just have that 45 in each one and you're no, like oh yeah it was yeah. this house yeah and then you're just like yeah i don't think I don't, you're like, you're in like, yeah, I'm pretty sure they didn't write that song in like Iowa City, like <laughs> houses all over the country. You say that that's where our house was written. Yeah. Um, no, it's, uh, it's, um, yeah, I don't, I, I, I'm going back, like, teach your children, like, these songs are, of course, it's super catchy. It's just like, mm-hmm. but it's just like, oh, I never liked that song. I never liked our house. Did you like it at all during this re-listen or still? No, it's well constructed and it's, it's at, at its worst, the songs on these first two albums are well constructed, but just don't do anything for me. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where I, I stand on this one. Even um, Helpless? There is a town in North Ontario. No, but I'm saying at its worst. Oh, it's worst. Gotcha. But like the the good stuff on the album, like he, look, helpless is is the Neil's first contribution. And it's kind of interesting when you look at side one of this record. It's five songs. Mm-hmm. It's carry on as a still song. They each get one song on the first side, and then Woodstock is is a Joni Mitchell song. But it's like carry on is like exactly what you would get from Stephen Stills. And then Teach Your Children is exactly what Graham Nash does. And Almost Cut My Hair is like the 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 prototypical David Crosby song. Mm-hmm. And Helpless is just this amazing Neil Young song. that it was, And it's him just kind of finding, doing a Neil Young song, but then fitting it into the context of these guys backing him up. So you get those harmonies on a Neil Young song for the first time. And... I mean, Helpless is one of my favorite songs. That's a yeah. Neil song. Um, and that's a song that for the recording sessions for this, there's that story where he waited until everyone was just purely exhausted in the middle of the uh, middle of the night to where they could play the song slow enough. Yeah. Well, uh, I think that's Coke too. That's the yeah. That's he just waited. He was basically waiting for the coke to wear off. And then he was like, "All right, now now we're ready to do it." Yeah. Um, yeah. This record is pretty coked up. 
I'd say it's more Coke than the than the first one. Yeah. Yeah, I would say Coke in all caps. And yeah. then maybe maybe a little weed in lowercase letters underneath. Yeah. I think weed took it. But this is the first I think weed was maybe in first place on the first record. And then now with Coke a close second. Yeah. But now Coke has taken the lead. All caps. Yeah. And weed is Weed is in the second position now. Yeah, this is this record is I never listened to it back then or mm-hmm. at any point, and I get it. It's the highest selling album of each member's career to date. It sold really? over eight million copies. Another thing that was interesting is that Dallas Taylor and Greg Reeves fought to have their uh, names on the cover as well. How'd that go? <laughs> I mean, they're on the cover. But they also felt in a weird way that they uh, were equal members of the band. So I know uh, there's a story where Greg Reeves tried to get Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young to do one of his songs. Crosby said it wasn't good enough. It wasn't up to snuff. And that's why they fired Greg Reeves. Right after, so still 1970. Oh, wait, their uh, names are on the cover. Yeah. 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 So 1970, they uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young... Uh, recorded Ohio with a new bassist and drummer. Yeah, and then this is the beginning of when the um, the the battle for who fills those slots in the live version of the band started because Stills would have his his choices and Neil would have his choices and everybody would have their choices and it would mm-hmm. just be a a power play for who gets to be in the, who's the drummer and bass player for <laughs> CSNY live. Look, these guys, I'm not going to put down these guys for their thing. I just, it, maybe I am going to put them down. <laughs> I don't know. That always bugs, it bums me out for some reason. Just play the bass and shut up. <laughs> <laughs> not so writing the songs. So Deja Vu overall, well, any, any final thoughts on Deja Vu? I hate the cover for it. <laughs> you don't I, like that uh, Matthew Brady Civil War era no, photography? I don't. I don't like... I don't did you like, ever have the vinyl, Tom? No, I never did. I didn't have this uh, record. I didn't. The vinyl had a unique feel to it. Mm-hmm. it. It wasn't like the smooth, typical album cover. It had like, no, a, like a texture. Brain. Yeah, there's like a grain to the cover, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is which is also the creeping sense of self-importance, which starts to <laughs> starting to enter it. And I'm not even putting that down on some level. It's fine. You wanna you wanna make big swings and make big statements, go for it. But there still is a quality of Yeah, you guys are really into this <laughs> this thing. You feel like you're doing some pretty important stuff here and you're yeah. suddenly Certainly letting us all know. Um, what, there's also another dog on the album cover. Mm-hmm. So there goes that trend of dogs. Yeah. And a weird fact about this is that dog is still alive. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of songs with subsections. Oh, I know. Mike, you're not a fan of, you you're not it. a fan of like the, I feel like Neil Young was influenced by the song A Day in the Life because <laughs> He later, he, he performed it live. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. He would do a day in the life live like 40 years later. And one time Paul McCartney came up and did it with him. But it was like, 
it feels like that song made this impression on him of the 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 segments and <laughs> yeah because that's a lot of those Buffalo Springfield songs had that feel to them yep and he w- he definitely chased that for a good while the idea of songs with different movements uh, and this is one of the last ones though right yeah i, I think so yeah i can't think of another one after this yeah, yeah. this was it country girl ended it yeah. yeah, and Country Girl is is I like Country Girl. I mean, I love Helpless. I like Country Girl. I don't. I on this record, I really like Helpless, and I like Woodstock. Yeah, um, four and twenty. Yeah, I was about to say I can't believe that there's a there's a track on here called Four Plus Twenty, but then I look at the songwriting credit. I'm like, okay, it's Stephen Stills. Yeah. Oh boy. But then they followed this up, as if like it, it also is impressive. The 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 speed with which they're making stuff that they um yeah because next they because they put this album out in march and then in june they put the 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 single ohio out which was not on this which was yeah. not on this, and it actually knocked Teacher Children off the charts. Yeah, which is which is a, uh, an Ohio is a song that was about the uh, the Kent State shooting. Yeah, Neil had seen uh, was reading and saw pictures in I believe Life magazine mm-hmm. uh, about the Kent State shooting, and immediately told Crosby to book a studio, and they all go in, and and I believe it, it was out two weeks later. Yeah. So Ohio on the A side and Find the Cost of Freedom, a still song on the B side. I, I really thought this record was all over the place. There's good songs, but it's just, you know, to me, it seems like th- this is the definition of too many cooks in the kitchen is sure. deja vu. That's you how think I think that should have been the album title. <laughs> too many cooks in the kitchen. Yes. Uh, and, then, and then underneath that, in parentheses, uh, featuring D- Dallas Taylor and Greg Reeves. <laughs> yeah, that's this. That's what I felt like. I I recognize songs from classic rock radio, uh, and but it's just like when I listen. The first time I own this album, I actually own this record. But it's one of those records that I just like. Someone is like, "You want stuff out of this box of records?" And I was like, "Sure." And I looked through and I like I pulled this out. And there's five copies of Deja Vu. And there's five copies. Yeah. No, I have this copy of uh, I don't know where it is. It's it's I have never listened to it in its entirety until this show. And I'm just like, wait a minute, what happens? This is the sequencing. Like it's just like you, you almost keep, like I had to check the phone to make sure that it was going in the right sequence because the sequencing seems so all over the place. But I'm like, oh mm-hmm. well, the, well, there, well, there was four songwriters on this album, you know, mm-hmm. and and maybe like maybe like three albums from now, I'll, I'll be wishing that, that I could go back to Deja Vu because I'm sure that there's 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 a uh, Oh, you're yeah. going to be begging to go yeah. back to... <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. I, yeah. I, I know soon, that. But Soon you are going to be on your hands and knees <laughs> wishing you were back. But the first album... album. The, the self-titled is kind of just like a simple country rock album that, it's, that I like. And that's you know? the only album like that that they will ever do. And, 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 it's, and it's fine because it has a flow. Like it, it has a beginning, middle, and end. This one is just like a ping pong game of, of what? Well, you start to get into that thing where each person's doing their song and yeah. they're 
they're just kind of using the others as needed or not needed. And you have some, it's all, it's all headstrong people. Right. Yeah. Apparently the song Deja Vu took over a hundred takes to complete. Mm -hmm. Oh, so feel bad for that engineer. Yeah. So, so Ohio's great, great single. Find the cost of freedom is, is very good. And then that's June that comes out. Mm-hmm. So that blows up. So Neil is having a pretty, Neil is kind of ascendant now because yeah. he's in Crosby, Stills, Nash is now Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. And he is, he's got this big platform with those guys. His, uh, everybody knows this is nowhere. It's kind of hanging around a little bit, but then uh, in, in September, of 1970 he drops his third album in two years which is after the gold rush which is my top if i had if someone had a gun to my head and said what's your favorite neil album it's always going to be after the gold rush yeah i don't have a problem with that no no that's i mean it's after the gold rush is i i feel like to to me it's just like everybody knows this nowhere is like almost perfect and then after the gold rush is perfect. And there's no, outside of Southern Man, Southern Man's the jammiest song on it. Southern Man better keep your head. He's, he's kind of mixed it up in this way where now he's really in singer-songwriter mode with a rock band. Mm-hmm. It's like, he's, he's kind of, he's kind of really going deeper into who he he's gonna be and is also setting the table for harvest with this record with the with the more concise songwriting and the melodies and um and i mean the songs on this record are just like i mean after the gold rush well i dreamed i saw the knights in armor come and saying something about a queen only love can break your heart Don't let it bring you down. Don't let it bring you down. It's only castles burning. Find someone who's turning, and you will come around. And I know, I know, Jason. The song "Birds" is an important yeah. song to you. And, yeah, yeah. That's um, um, when we were. My father passed away in 2009, and you know, we just like. We talked on the episode zero. Neil was a big thing with me and my dad. So dad was cremated. And when we were driving out to the cemetery, uh, we were just happened to be listening to After the Gold Rush. And as I sprinkled my father's ashes, uh, Birds was playing. And I'm going to remember that for the rest of my life. When you see me fly away without you Shadow on the things you know Feathers fall around you And show you the way to go It's over Sure. 
Now, what if Pat just talked about how bad birds is? And <laughs> <laughs> what if it was like, like, like a different approach? That's I'll all. Say, oh, better like, birds than Southern man, right? Yeah. <laughs> all, what if all three of us then were just like, well, we all disagree with you and birds yeah. is the worst song. And, or, or Cripple Creek Fairies playing while I'm yeah. sprinkling my dad. <laughs> this like thrown throwaway <laughs> song. No, that's a beautiful thing you said. And that's, I'm glad that those things line up like that for a reason. So that's mm-hmm. very, that's very uh, special moment. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that makes a connection with it that you'll never, you'll always have. That oh, completely. So, yeah. and you know, this album had a lot of really cool stuff going for it. It was recorded mainly in a makeshift basement studio in uh, Neil Young's Topanga Canyon home, which recently was up for sale. I don't know if it's sold, uh, you could buy it for $1.5 million. I, I sent Tom the listing as soon as I saw it. Yeah. Um, it, it looks like hell on the inside. Like, it doesn't look like any sort of uh, uh, remodeling or anything has been done since Neil was there. No. So I, somebody was, told me about it, and, and they said that, it, that the rumor has that the house is, like, held together by, like, uh, like one beam at this point. <laughs> It's like ready to fall down and would take so much work. Yeah, it's right. It is just, it, yeah, it completely looks like it's ready to crumble. But in, but even all looking at it, pictures of it from Neil's days when they were recording this, it still looked like it was about to crumble. It never really looked sturdy. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, a, and it's a, that house looks like this record in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah, I think this record is is as this is one of the all time great records. Um, Nils Lofgren was eighteen when he mm-hmm. played on this album. Yeah. And Neil forced him that's to so play cool. piano, which he had never played, because mm-hmm. that's the type of feeling yeah. he wanted for this record. Yeah, and do you know where the um, the album cover is from? That's down in the village, right? Yeah, it's on. You know, I was going to guess that it was somewhere in New York. Yeah, it's on, on the corner of Sullivan and West 3rd. In, and you could line it up, and there's pictures of people. If you go down that street, it's, it's like right, it's right it's two blocks south of like Washington Square Park. And you can still see exactly where the record cover was taken. Mm-hmm. Um, same same uh, kind of fence is up. And um, Oh, wow. Yeah. Any, any note? Any any notes on a little old lady emerging from Neil's back? Well, it just it that was just it happened to work there. But a lot of people are saying, like you know, the reason that Neil may have taken the I don't even know if this is the the reason that Neil really uh, uh, connected with this album cover. But you know, some theories behind it are that he was so he this was his first uh, marriage to a woman named uh, Susan Acevedo. Uh, during the recording of this record and you know she had a lot of issues with Neil being a star and all these people being around Neil and during the recording of this uh, they they started to break up so a lot of people say that's Neil going his way and uh, his wife going the other way and if you look at that's not his wife but that just no that was not his wife Mike (laughs) his wife was not 90 years old <laughs> how long was how long was he with this ninety year old woman? <laughs> Six months. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, the, another crazy thing about that cover is that that picture 
the full uncropped picture has Graham Nash in it. Really? Is is the closest one to frame in that picture. If you, you know, we can post it later, but it's like the picture is Graham Nash takes up one third of the frame in the uncropped photo. He's, and Neil is, is like probably five feet oh, away wow. from the of him. Um, I have yeah, never seen that before. It's pretty amazing. That's insane. That, yeah. That that's that's the full picture. It's it's Graham Nash and Neil Young walking through Greenwich Village. Oh, they were um, on their way to a Fillmore East show. Is that? Yeah, they were doing. They were on their way to play uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young at Fillmore East. Wow, I think one of the awesome. early uh, sh- the the early run of shows that they did. Yeah, because the early run of shows is legendary. Where the I think it, six months later or whatever, when they came back to Fillmore East, they were kind of bloated and not as good. Yeah, this record after the Gold Rush is just—I uh, don't know. It's just—it's—it's it's a total masterpiece. And completely, I—I I also think it's for people who don't know Neil Young, it might be one of the best entry points. Mm-hmm. Also, so if you're somebody listening to this and you don't know where to get in on some of these things, because Neil Young has you know forty albums, and you don't know where to start, it's like start yeah. start with this album. Another interesting thing about this, and we talked a little bit about this, uh, during this period is when uh, Danny Witten started really going into the throes of heroin, uh, kind of because he, he had rheumatoid arthritis, so he found that the heroin helped with that. Um, Witten and Crazy Horse were parts of the beginning stages of this record. Uh, Witten plays guitar and sings on Oh Lonesome Me, I Believe in You, and When You Dance I Can Really Love. But uh, Witten and Crazy Horse were, were dismissed halfway through the sessions, in part because of um, the heroin use. Now, Pat, what do you think of this record? It's great. This record is great. I mean, I know you know the obvious songs from radio, but um, but Southern Man is just a song that's just like so important and, and so good and. You know, anytime I've really sat and listened to it, it's always kind of given me chills, and it's a haunting, beautiful, deep but, but, song. But and, not the Skinnerd. Yeah. yeah, but you know, I I heard that they were like later friends about it or something. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah, they well, well, Leonard, that always Leonard, made me feel good. Leonard Skinnerd wrote uh, "Sweet Home Alabama." Sweet Home Alabama as a, as an answer, to, answer song. An answer. Yeah, but they were yeah. okay with it, and they were so okay with it that you know, legend states. Uh, that Ronnie Van Sant was buried in uh, tonight's the night T-shirt. I'm just gonna say, <laughs> Leonard Skinnerd, that eludes me. That whole thing. <laughs> You've never been a Skinnerd fan? No, yeah. that whole thing. And I, all I can say is about this: just imagine. I don't wish ill on anyone. I wish Ronnie Van Sant was still here, mm-hmm. but. Just imagine his take on the world in 2020. I think I don't think any of, I don't think any of you would be Leonard Skinner fans anymore. No, 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 no. Yes, still hundred percent. So, so, but he did I, he, he did write a good anti gun song though. Thirty eight special. Hmm. Well, I mean, that, you know, Saturday Night Special. Well, yeah, yeah, you're right. What, what yeah, am I? Thirty eight special was a band. Yeah, right. I'm confused. That was also related to Skinner. So, (laughs) so wait. I just want to clarify, though. I just want to clarify. So, so this album, no Crazy Horse. This is this is Neil. No Crazy Horse is on it, but they They were dismissed halfway through. 
So they weren't credited, but some of the but they play on some of they the were tracks. Credited. They were credited. Um, yeah, okay. Ralph Molina played drums on the whole record. Um, Billy Talbot played some bass. Greg Reeves uh, with Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Neil pulled him over from CSNY to play on this album. Uh, Jack Nietzsche is on piano. Uh, Nils Lofgren also on guitar, piano, vocals. Um, yeah. So Crazy but Horse it, is a little bit part of this. But it's, it's not billed as a Neil Young and right. Crazy Horse album. Right, right, right. Yeah, and that's what I, that's, that was my question. So, yeah, and I'm looking over the personnel. I didn't, and you mentioned this, Jason, but, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't know Nils uh, played on this, which is cool. Nils, it, um, Neil Young is the reason Nils Lofgren had a career. Um, he snuck into a show in, um, in D.C. as a kid. To He's Canadian too, right? Nils Lofgren? I don't think so. Oh, I, I believe he's from Northern Virginia. No, he's actually born, he was born in Chicago. Okay. Grew up in the D.C. area. But he snuck into a show as a kid, uh, met Neil Young, played what I th- believe was the first Grin album. He was telling Neil all about, you know, the songs he had written, and Neil was like, well, play them for me. So he played what would become the first Grin album. Which was um, his, 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 uh, his band, was yeah. the band called Grin. Yep. I love Grin. And uh, days later, uh, Neil called and um, told Nils that uh, he got him a record deal. So to come out to Los Angeles. That's so Where are these people in my life? <laughs> Man, I got your record deal. Yeah, just off of word of mouth. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, I don't see any of us getting that person who just goes and is just like, Hey Mike, I got your book. I got I got your screenplay sold. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, where are these yeah. people? I know. Yeah, where are they? Where's our Neil Youngs? Yeah. Set us up. Our benefactor. Uh, so Mike, with this this record, what what has been your what was your relationship with after the Gold Rush? No, it's 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 one of the all timers, and and it sets the pattern, you know, where he he do a, a crazy horse record where he gets to rock out. Then he'll do, you know, more of a solo, uh, you know, mellower type of, I mean, he, he's done that his whole career. You know, he, mm-hmm. he goes back and forth to it. It's always there for him. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Southern Man was, you know, uh, you know, it was big when I was younger. I don't know. It's a little overexposed for me at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, for a while there, yeah, that, it's a phenomenal song. I just have a, a personal relationship where I, I sort of overexpose myself to it. But yeah, the album, it's unbelievable. It's, yeah. it's, it's up there. It's one of his what do you think Rolling Stone said about this record, Mike? Good question. Uh, I think, well. I, think uh, I, I used to get all those uh, Rolling Stone record guides, mm-hmm. you know, and that helped me find music. And um, yeah, I think they... I think that it was fairly acclaimed, no? Yeah. Well, initially, uh, uh, look, eventually the Rolling Stone album guide had it as a five-star album. But uh-huh. initially, the review for the record uh, was not positive, And uh, the guy Langdon Winner wrote the review, and he said, uh, none of the songs here rise above the uniformly dull surface. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty dumb. Yeah. Well, he, yeah, he missed the mark. And um, yeah, by 1975, Rolling Stone referred to the album as a masterpiece. So that was an initial uh, misjudgment of it. Um, yeah, this album is is the best, and yeah. it really uh, kind of 
put Neil on his, uh, this was the, like the CSNY thing plus the, oh, oh, the, uh, plus the everybody knows is nowhere then makes this, this is a hit album for mm-hmm. him. And so he, Neil now on his own is this growing solo artist, which is not something that all the members of CSNY could say. Like, they, they, Crosby never really had this monumental solo career, and Nash really didn't either. Stills had, had more stuff than the other two, I would say, mm-hmm. um, in the big picture. But Neil was now starting to just blow up and become this singular force of nature. And, and it would truly explode with this next record. Yes, which we will get into in the next episode. The but there's still one record left, guys. One more for 1970. And that is... <laughs> Released on November 16th, 1970. So we're looking at what? Uh, two, two months after, after the Gold Rush was released, hmm. we get Stephen Stills, Stephen Stills. Yes. And this, this record is... Uh... It's it's an all star, uh, it's an all star uh, production. Yeah, you've got here's some of the people on it: Cass Elliot, Graham Nash, Ringo Starr, Booker T. Jones, Eric Clapton, and Jimi Hendrix all played on this album. Uh. And it is the only album that Eric Clapton and Jimi Hendrix were on together. Yes. Is Stephen Stills' album. Yeah. So. And there's a, a bigger Jimi Hendrix story there. Oh, yeah. Now, Stills made this album, and it, um, it, was, it was a popular album. This, mm-hmm. was a, this, was a, this was a biggie. Yeah. And uh, it had a huge hit on it. The song Love the One You're With, which everybody knows that song. Jason, do you want to talk about <laughs> the, the funny little anecdote? Yeah, the, the best part of this, and it's what probably one of the best classic rock stories i've ever heard and i automatically i think we can go ahead and throw in uh that this is an oh no cringeworthy moment this is the first truly uh cringy moment in the in the the hubris that would would rise out of crosby stills nash and young this is the first one where you're just like wow okay yeah so the song "Love Your the One You're With" included a guitar solo from Jimi Hendrix, and apparently it was a amazing guitar solo. I've looked for this version online. I don't. It has not been released yet, mainly because I think so. Stills never thought it fit, so Stephen Stills erased the Jimi Hendrix guitar solo to put in an organ solo and, even better, a steel drum solo by Stephen Stills, a man who could not play steel drum. Yeah, not known for his steel drum playing. <laughs> and if you listen to it now, 
you can hear some of the worst steel drum playing you'll ever hear in your life. It's insane. If you listen very closely to Love the One You're With, it sounds like there's a point where you think music is coming from somewhere else and you're hearing <laughs> something else. You're just like, wait, is my is my computer playing too? Is something else playing? It's like a YouTube clip playing, yeah. like putting some noise into this song. And it's just like, oh no, that's his steel drum playing. Yeah. And the kicker here is the guitar solo that he erased was the final guitar solo Jimi Hendrix ever recorded. Yeah. Do 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 do. He's banging the steel drum. It just sounds like it sounds like a, a like a five year old. I don't I don't understand in what world he thought that sounded better. Yeah, like I I don't I don't know what the what the what the Hendrix guitar solo would have even sounded like. Look, the My organ is, the organ is nice on the song. Yeah, that's fine. But the steel drum playing, come on. <laughs> And if you look here, it says Stephen Stills, vocals, guitars, bass, piano, organ, steel drum. Yeah, now now that song, I'm going to say the song Love the One You're With is somewhat of, uh, to be polite, an outlier on the album Stephen Stills because it's not terrible. Right. Pat, what was your initial reaction to hearing this album? Starts out. Track one, love the one you're with. I'm like, okay, I know this song. Um, how bad could it could the rest of it be? <laughs> Sounds pretty promising. And then we're going into oh gosh, let me go to this Wikipedia page. Do for the others. Uh yeah. So then then it kind of gets into some other stuff. I'm like, all right, like I'm I was so uh optimistic is the wrong word i was just so open to listening to this i was like i was really just like i'm gonna give this a shot i listened mm -hmm. to this in the entire way through mm -hmm. um and then it's just kind of um you know we get into some weird like isn't there like an instrumental blues track on it or something it's just like or he's just it's kind of playing like a bad solo and i'm just like what is going on like there's there's all these like it's it's you know my complaint of deja vu is the sequencing like it, it seems a little all over the place mm -hmm. this record's like making deja vu look like you know uh the greatest story ever written like it's just like so <laughs> it's just so all over it's, it's so much more all over the place that i'm like okay was this the reason for me thinking deja vu was the way it was like what, what's going on with this guy he can't focus you know on the count of three let's all say the worst song on the album okay are you ready, Mike? I'm not ready. You know, wait, wait, what wait. I was going to say. Wait, let's, I, let me know, just do the count. let's do this count first. Let's do okay. one song. We all say it at the same time. Count of three. One, two, three. Black Queen. Cherokee. I don't remember the name of the, of the instrumental track, but that's my least favorite one. But Black, Black Queen was a staple of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young uh, live sets. Oh, I, I have learned that, and I am, <laughs> and I I feel like a young young Tom 
young Tom knew something was in the air without even hearing the song. Yeah. That he didn't like Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Crosby, Stills, and Nash. And that's, I knew that this song existed without having heard the song. And then when I heard it, I'm like, of course, this is what I've been avoiding this whole time. Is the song like this? I knew it had to be something like this was there for why I didn't want any part of this. Because <laughs> it's like, go ahead, Mike. First of all, Mike, you go. You you talk. No, I'm I'm actually in the same place as Pat regarding this record. I've never owned this record. I didn't know the whole all star cast. Frankly, I didn't know that. Uh, I had heard the story about the Hendrix sol- uh, solo, um, but. Yeah, this was total. I was going in for the first time with this. And yeah, my impression is that, yeah, the first song, you know, it's still with us. That song, you know, despite the, the steel drums, it's, uh, it's still in the world today. But mm-hmm. um, the other songs were just so nondescript to me that, yeah, none of them stood out as like particularly horrible or good. You know, it was just like a sort of just each song to me left no impression good or bad it was just sort of perfunctory let's put it that way you know Um, you know what you know what i kept thinking of when listening to it because it's an all-star lineup it's a solo record by someone who's a part of a larger thing it's it's got like huge arrangements on it and and it came out at the same time it's like a it's like the bad version of all things must pass this record it's like if if george harrison didn't have any songs ready for all things must pass but like knew the arranging and the scope of the thing but forgot to write all those songs <laughs> for it cuz it's just big and kind of it's big and ponderous and has all these elements on it and it's like well made but there's nothing there that i care about yeah Mick Jagger was quoted in NME in 1970 saying he's been listening, listening to and really likes Still's new album, finding it really funky. <laughs> funky, okay. Well, Everybody I guess I like it then. <laughs> <laughs> You're sold now. Yeah. I would have loved to have heard Neil's first listen reaction to this album. And if he even made it all the way through. Yeah, he, it must. He, I, I, do you feel like Neil Young would look at moments like that, like he would just be like, "Yeah, I won that." Like, <laughs> yeah, present day, yeah. But present day. I think even then, like even then, like you do, Pat, do you think like he would check out the Stephen Stills album and go like, "Yeah, after the Gold Rush, I, I'm I'm in the lead." I think so, but I also think that he would be in front of Stills, going like, "Well." Huh? Like Stills would would be like thinking he won between all the Christmas sales and everything. He'd have he'd have the false assumption in his head, yeah. Stephen Stills' head, that he won, and he'd be like open arms looking at Neil, like, "Well, what do you got to say now?" And Neil would be like, "Yup, you did it." You're like just like in his own head, just like yeah. fake fake giving it to him, you know. Just that's that's my hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's. Uh... We are not helpless. Is that an answer song? It was. It was initially thought that it was, but he has come out saying it isn't. But oh, okay. who knows at the time? How could it not be though? Yeah, some level of he puts a he puts an album an animal on his cover. <laughs> he does a song called "We Are Not Helpless" after 
Yeah. Six months earlier, yeah. Neil Young had a song called Helpless. It's like writing a song called I Don't Like Birds. Yeah. Just he's That's a great point. It's like think about that. Yeah, I, I just feel like these two guys are, were in some sort of competition, whether they were how how aware or or uh conscious of it or proud of it, I don't know. Um but you don't you don't make someone run off stage crying because somebody made fun because a band member made fun of their singing that just doesn't go away with the guy like neil young who would write a song called hippie dream later in his career which is aimed a square shot at david crosby that fell out of the set and then would only come back when he was mad (laughs) at, at crosby again yeah, he. I mean, they they would write songs about each other. These guys would would actively admit that certain songs were that it was easier for them to write songs about each other, saying how they felt, than to say how they felt to the person. Yeah, going forward, basically, I mean, I didn't really. I don't. I don't. I think the only Stills record I have is the one with Neil Young on it, right? Uh, where he, Long uh, May You Run. Long May You Runs on that. Yeah. That's the only Stills record I have. So going forward, basically, I'm looking for clues to more of the feud continuing. Well, let's you know? track. Let's also make a tr- point of tracking songs written about other members of the of the uh, of the, the the quartet. Yeah. I don't have. I, I haven't read the David Brown book. I, I want to try and track that down. But uh, I mean, does he go into all of this in the book? Oh yeah, yeah. There's, it's it's a pretty comprehensive book. It's really uh, enjoyable. We uh, should probably just have David Brown on an episode, right? Yeah, I know. I think somebody reached out and told me they knew David Brown, and they were telling me that so I could maybe get a hold of him. Yeah, we could just do a special. We don't have to cover a year. We could just insert them, and I think we can do that with other uh, with other guests in the Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young universe. Yeah, the CSNYU. The CSNYU, yes. Now, so that covers 1969 and 1970. We've covered the the records that have all come out then. What do we need to talk about with each one? The best and worst songs. Yeah, I think we can take it uh, just year by year here. What do you think the best songs of uh, 69 were? I mean, it's definitely Neil heavy for me. It's mm-hmm. definitely going to be like, everybody knows this is nowhere. Yeah, for me, if I did three songs from 1969, I'd say everybody knows this is nowhere. I guess I would, I might say uh, the loner, and yeah. um, and then either down by the river or uh, I'll just say down by the river. Yeah, I'd go with that. What do you, What was the what was the worst song of this period? The worst song. I mean, Neil has some throwaways on that first record, but that's still better that, than. Well, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd probably throw in I Could Have Her Tonight. That, that song just sort of graded for me for some reason. Okay, so that's your low point. What, what, would, you, what would be your um, your high point, Mike? Yeah, everybody know this is nowhere. I think maybe Cowgirl in the Sand, I, I'll give the nod. Sure. So we're, we're pretty heavy in 1969 with Neil favorites. Yeah. How about you, Pat? Maybe it wasn't even an instrumental track. Maybe it's just the, the fact that it was long and it had so much instrumentation on it that it felt like it was instrumental. But there was some, what's that bluesy track off of Stephen Stills' album that's like all over the place and bad? Is it, is it Black Queen? Is it 
Yeah, it's it? Black, it might be Black Queen. Yeah, I think All you're right. thinking Black Queen. So Black sure. Queen is... That's your low point for 70. That's, that's low point. And yeah. then um, I also really don't like, even though I had that story about, you know, visiting the house that our house is about, that's a pretty yeah. bad song. I really, <laughs> yeah. I, I never liked that song. It's awful. Yeah. So for 69, I'll, my... Yeah, I don't know what my low point for sixty nine. I guess my low point would have to be would I? I'd go with. I'm gonna go with uh, Pat on this. It's got to be a Nash song. Um, yeah. Yeah. What would it be? Let me see, let me see which one would be the. Marrakesh Express. I mean. Well, Tom, you you said you hate teach your children. That's yeah, seventy for, for sixty nine. Sixty nine. Oh, okay. My worst is gonna be. Um, yeah, man, I don't know. These uh, none of these are as offensive as the two he has lined up in seventy. <laughs> I guess I'm gonna have to say Marrakesh Express. Okay, um, is the worst, and then uh, for sixty nine, and the worst for seventy would be Our House. No, I'm gonna say Teach Your Children because it has a preachy quality to it. I, so, I do have a soft spot. Like I said, I have a soft spot in my heart for Graham. Nash. I love. We're gonna be covering his solo record in uh, the next episode, and it's. It's a decent, it's a good record. Which one? Right, uh, songs for Beginners. Don't tip the, don't. Okay. Because <laughs> you talk like that, you're going to get, you're going to get people who go along with you and you're going to get yeah. people to push back against you. That's true. <laughs> I, I don't want, I don't want anyone. Yeah. I want people to think for themselves. Yeah. Teach your children, Jason. Come on. <laughs> think of that email your mother sent you. Kind of makes you think, huh? Right, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, for seventy, I would say the my favorite song is um, "Only Love Can Break Your Heart" um, from nineteen seventy, and then low point would be uh, "Teach Your Children." Yeah, I'm gonna go with "Birds" for seventy. Uh, low low point for me. I've never, even though it's a Stills Young song, I don't really like "Everybody I Love You." Oh, wait, wait, how can I do, why would I do, no, the low point is Black Queen. What am I talking about? Yeah, Black Queen. <laughs> Stills album's terrible. So, guys, I think we're at the point where we can rank the members. Are we ranking year by year or let's, two oh, year? Let's lump these two together. Okay. And what's the, what is the, uh, what is the substance that it fuels the first, Neil, uh, the first uh, Stephen Stills album? Oh, oh! It's clearly cocaine. I I think it's like cocaine and like some like whiskey, gross whiskey, like some yeah. like brown <laughs> brown liquors in general. Yeah, like brown liquor and coke are driving that Stills album. Okay, who has who has their ranking ready? I'm ready. Okay, you go first, Pat. All right, so I'm using math for this one. All right, guys. This is not me listing my favorite members at all. Mm -hmm. I'm just going by sheer. Do that. We're ranking on what it is. So okay. otherwise, otherwise Neil would win every time for me. Right, right. But this is just mathematically true. Um, but you know, he was prolific. He did more than anyone. Uh, it has to be why first, right? Number of albums, number of songs written. The no one's going to compare there. Um, as much as I hate him, uh, Stephen Stills is next because uh, he, he put out the solo record. 
and the amount of songs written on both the first um, CSN record and the C- and the and Deja Vu. Mm-hmm. Uh, he sh- be- between credited songs that he wrote on and songs he just wrote solo on both those records. I think it was four on the first record and two on the second. So that, or sorry, no, no, I'm sorry, that's wrong. Uh, five on the first one and three on the second. So between that and his solo album, he's uh, done more. So I, I'm going Y, S, and then C, N. C, Crosby wrote three on the first uh, CSN record and then two on the uh, on Deja Vu. So then at, by default, uh, Nash would be last for me. So you're saying Y, S, Y, S, C, N. Yes. Okay. Mike? I'm, yeah, I'm going to say the same. Uh, I, I agree with uh, Pat's reasoning. I'd add, I, I'd add uh, you know, I didn't know about the tireless production, but uh, that makes sense. So I give him credit for, you know, the production of the, those first two records. I mean, they do sound great, you know. It's, hey! it's really and um, so, yeah, the, the Stephen Stills record, I won't hold against him. Uh, because it was, you know, it just was mediocre to me. It didn't, nothing stood out. Uh, sure. I'd have to listen to it again to really hone in on certain things. But, uh, yeah, he, he's working hard. So, Crosby, you know, next. And then, um, and then Nash. Okay. Jason? I'm going to say uh, Y up at the top, um, just because of the quality of the output. I mean, they're legendary albums, uh, not just to me, but, you know, anybody looking at this. I would say Stills next, just because he was a driving force outside of Cocaine for those first two, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young albums. This is the production factors on that. And the songwriting. He had some, he did have some great songs in that, in that time period. I think next I'm going to go N, just because, you know, Nash did, I mean, a lot of the money that they made off of those records were based on his hits. Mm-hmm. Those were big songs. So I do think that, you know, Nash kind of uh, deserves to be third there. And then I'm going to say C for the end. Okay. Very interesting. I'm going to say, obviously, why to start it off. The guy class, is right out of the box, classic after classic. Then I'm going to say C. Huh. Because I think this Steven Stills album is so bad. That <laughs> as much as I admire his playing and production on the two albums, and it's a close, though it's close between two and three on this one. I'm gonna say because it's the best. It's the best we get from Crosby. Um, this this run is kind of the best you get from Crosby for a long, long time. So, um. I'm going to just say Crosby edges out stills because Crosby didn't put out a terrible solo album (laughs) and then stills because still, and that's, that's very close though. That, that, that it really was like a coin (laughs) because stills, it really did. It is an accomplishment what he did for the, for the, the big albums. Um, But if you listen to Cherokee or you listen to black queen and you listen to him, like, incorporating gospel into these 
this thing, this ponderous album. It makes sense that album's taken in the snow outside because that's what it feels like. Like listening to this album feels like <laughs> when, like if like you're locked outside in the snow. Is it snow like, or is it cocaine? <laughs> that's a good point. That just might be coke. You might just be <laughs> in a pile of coke. Um, and then Nash is last because he's Nash. So, <laughs> sorry. That's where we. That's where we find ourselves. Y C S N. All right. And there we go, guys. That's episode one. Yeah. Episode and- episode two. We will cover 1971, 1972, which will include the albums. David Crosby. If I could only remember my name. Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, Four Way Street. Graham Nash, Songs for Beginners. Stephen Stills, Stephen Stills 2. Neil Young (laughs) Harvest. So get ready for that, guys. Yeah. Neil Young Harvest. Crosby and Nash, Graham Nash, David Crosby. Manassas, Manassas. And Neil Young, Journey Through the Past. And Manassas is a... Stephen Stills didn't have enough supergroups going. Yeah. So he decided to have a second supergroup. (laughs) <laughs> oh so, gosh i can't wait get ready buckle up so yeah i, I this is uh that's going to be something else going from uh 71 and 72 yeah, that's a lot that's a lot of homework for me I, i'm not familiar with a good part of those those albums well, get ready mike if, if, even I, I i'm even regretting revisiting uh journey through the past let's see Journey through the past is a rough one in a couple spots. Well, it's not, it's not even a rough. And I would say this also, maybe we should watch, if, if anybody has it in them, to watch the movie. Oh, no, no. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's required, guys. Don't make anybody else do that. I'm going to watch the movie. Wait, so what? Movie? Yeah. Movie. Oh, Pat, you know, you, know how, you ever hear like in, in the army when like somebody like speaks up at the wrong point and then like, this, they get like put on like 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 potato peeling duty. Uh-huh. I think you just going the movie means you gotta watch the movie, but oh, God. better peel those potatoes, Pat. Yeah. What is this? This is like a narrative movie. Uh, no, it's not a narrative. No, <laughs> the opposite. The opposite of a narrative movie. Yeah. Uh huh. Pat, you just I'll watch it too. So I'm not. Let's we'll make it's it's I think it's gonna be on YouTube or something. I know I have it in the archives box. Like, I can I can round up a link for everyone. Okay. All right, round so. up a link. Make sure it won't break my computer. Or, but that or, is uh that is episode of uh episode one of which is technically episode two, but it's episode one of our show. And we'll be back with another one next week. And it's uh thanks for listening. And thanks for supporting the show at Patreon, patreon.com slash the best show. This is where you can hear this first. And uh, we'll keep doing this. We'll keep doing a lot more content. And everybody stay safe and stay healthy. And anything else anybody want to say? Love the one you're with. There you go. Love the one you're with. <laughs> okay. If you're a little- yeah.